Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Commander Benjamin Sisko, the Federation Starbase, Deep Space Nine. Welcome to the Greatest Generation DS9. Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Here we are, Adam. This series is about as new to me as Discovery is. <laughs> Just level with you. <laughs> did you watch it when it originally came out? I think I did, and I'm almost positive that uh, I kind of rejected it at the time. Really? Yeah. I remember... Uh, I should say, not that I rejected, it's just that my preference was so next generation that, you know, I didn't have room in my heart, Ben, for right. for two. I, I chose a favorite. I remember uh, my parents showing me an article in the San Francisco Chronicles Arts and Culture section, which I think was called Date Book, for some reason, <laughs> uh, about there being a new Star Trek show in production. I heard about Deep Space Nine in Parade Magazine. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember being pretty excited for it and like getting special dispensation to watch an extra hour of television on the day that the new episode came out. Oh boy. Yeah. There were otherwise pretty strict regulations on how much TV I was allowed to consume. (laughs) Really cut into your tennis practice, I bet. Yeah, yeah. My parents were like, well, this show seems pretty harmless, and we've turned our son into a person who is pretty harmless, so. It's it's not like he'll uh, he'll be going out on any dates. If this is his vice, no problem. <laughs> if, uh, if you're a parent of a precocious and probably too smart for his age son, this is uh, <laughs> it's probably the best thing for him, right? It was nice when I was smart for my age. Those days are long gone. <laughs> that ended at about 13, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I remember, you know, this show, I liked it. And uh, I liked that it was very different. Uh, I remember getting goosebumps when they, uh, when they played the theme song for the first time. And really liking the opening sequence and thinking it was it was pretty edgy to not have the uh, Space the Final Frontier portion of it. Yeah. Yeah, I really want to get into it, Ben. You just want to get into the show? I've got a lot of shit about it to talk about, too. Let's jump in head first, Adam. Head first, Ben, into Season 1, Episode 1, Emissary. This episode starts kind of almost with like a Star Wars scroll. It sets up the events immediately preceding the Battle of Wolf 359. And we get to see the perspective of Ben Sisko as first officer of some fucking doomed ship at Wolf 359. Resistance is futile. You will disarm your weapons. And escort us to Sector 001. This is something that we wished we had for a long time on Next Gen, yeah. right? Like, we wanted more Wolf 359. We wanted different perspectives. And I was super pumped to see this. 
like to see it from an a perspective outside of the enterprise yeah what i wish we got here that we didn't was just a bedraggled cisco like raising his fist to the sky at admiral hansen like (laughs) fucking hansen (laughs) who is really the reason for the season here yeah i don't know why cisco holds on to his picard animus but never brings up hansen's culpability in this plan going as spectacularly wrong as it did there's no grave to spit on uh, where Hanson's involved, he's just a floater, right? Yeah. Well, you know this this uh, this scene kind of does with its fr- with its five minutes of existence what the entire first episode of Discovery does, which is just like set up the like motivation for the main character. It also right. really reminded me of the 2009 Star Trek films opening sequence. Yes. Yeah. That's a great call. It's not the introduction that we got to Picard, that's for sure. We got to know Picard really over the long term, over a period of seasons, before we really got to understand what what made that guy tick. I mean, here in the first five minutes, we see a man's most intense pain. Commander, help me! Indeed, he uh, he rescues his young son and it fails to rescue his wife as the ship that he is stationed on and they live with him on comes apart in space and they like make for the escape pods got to go now sir damn it we just can't leave her here he watches the ship explode in space that shit is fucking intense and he is so sweaty it's probably because of the uh, the fires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say it's probably That's that, it. and the fact that he's wearing a wool uniform. You know, those two things. That's just uh, that's hard hitting commentary by uh, by Ben and Adam right there. <laughs> <laughs> this is what people tune into the Greatest Generation for. I really loved seeing the inside of an escape pod. I loved seeing the punch out from the escape pod window. Yeah. That was exhilarating to me. I copped to not really watching this show very much when it first came out. The episodes I did see, I believe, were toward the end of the series run. And I know this gets better. I'm confident that it does. But... The I feel like Avery Brooks is he was given direction to not be Picard to to play really big. He like and <laughs> I got to say it's not working for me right now. Like he's he's acting like a guy who went to the Andre Brower School of Acting and got a C. <laughs> Whoa. I know that's that's so withering. But the I think the reason that I can go hard on him right now is because I know it's not like this forever. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Avery Brooks does the same kind of acting that P. Stew does. I think his his style and and technique are are, are in a really different category. Sure. Yeah. Um, what I will say is that like the bigness of it really works for me when he's happy. Like yeah, like when he when he meets his wife on the beach and in uh you know 
just a spoiler alert uh, way way ahead in this episode it's like the most infectious and awesome thing in the world but uh but the grief part is like hey man like uh, <laughs> we get it <laughs> this is not an easy experience for you to be going through right now you need to have both right you can't just have you can't just have the sand you got to have the sugar too yeah and he i think he's so unique because i don't think we've ever gotten a character that felt mo- emotions as broadly as Cisco, as the Cisco we're seeing in this episode, anyway. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's interesting. Like, I, I mean, we have to talk about the fact that this is coming out in the mid '90s, and it's like not necessarily a, uh, you know, like I'm sure the suits at at Paramount or UPN or whatever it was that were shelling out for this were, you know skeptical that a a black male actor could carry a series like this you know yeah i mean they're talking like we're talking about two three million dollars per episode of budget like 24 episodes a season if people don't tune into this that's no good and and uh i think that there's still hesitation in hollywood about you know putting people of color in prominent roles and giving them uh complicated characters to to portray and uh and so like not to like pat pat the producers on the back too much but like this is a this is a big a big deal at the time i think he is profoundly likable i think for all the reasons stated like for his his interest in in showing his emotion and not only in his intense joy and profound pain but he's also very affectionate like he's affectionate with his son in a way that initially i was like oh this is weird (laughs) but i think that weird i think that weirdness is just about my own like i i grew up in not a very affectionate showing family myself so like to see that happen for other people was was new to me then as it's different seeming to me now it's not just joy and pain that Cisco is emoting. It's it's affection and, and the spectrum of things in between. Things that zipped up all the way professional Starfleet crew people have not really been into showing yeah. in the seven years of Next Gen that we've seen previously. Like, you know, on Star Trek The Next Generation, you cry in private. Sure. Just like just like the only place that anyone sees you laugh is the poker game. <laughs> but but you know as Cisco is walking around his new station in a very like Schmitz gay kind of way, like in a <laughs> nice house sitting job you got here. This place is a dump like they're regarding this place as the dump that it is. No water? He's willing to cop to his disappointment. He's willing to tell Picard in a little while what a shithead he is yeah. and how he doesn't want this station because he wants to raise his son as a civilian. Like he's willing yeah. to He's got one foot out the door and that's very unlike the Starfleet characters we have met previously to now. It's it runs t- it totally contravenes the Starfleet exceptionalism we've seen 
almost entirely up until now that that Starfleet is aspirational. Who wouldn't want to be in Starfleet? It was the weirdest thing ever when Wesley chose chose not to pursue a career in it. So now we're getting a little bit more of that, and I think that makes Cisco a real interesting character. Cisco and his son Jake are moving into basically the worst neighborhood in the Federation. <laughs> the station is in orbit over Bajor, and it was like the tip of the Cardassian spear uh, when the Cardassians occupied Bajor, or as it is pronounced in this episode, Bajor. Welcome to Bajor. <laughs> sure. They definitely change what the way they say the name of the planet at some point in this series. I don't know if I don't know if it's like the next episode or ten episodes from now, but everybody's going around saying Bajor. Bajor is in great jeopardy. Everyone I would say eighty percent of the time people call the station Space Station too, instead of its its name Deep Space Nine. That also caught in my ear. Yeah, like bit. like that is that are we misremembering the, the argot that they settled on or is that uh, is that just how it is who knows i don't know uh, it's been a while since i've watched this series and uh i didn't remember the pilot much at all yeah. I, I mean i was watching it and the different dramatic twists and turns de- came as genuine surprises so this whole redrawing of the district between the federation and the cardassians has resulted in the Federation occupation of this station, which was previously a, Car- a Cardassian station. It's like house flippers moving into what was previously a foreclosed-on home. Like, all the fixtures are ripped out. It is totally garbagey. It is a project. We're here in urban Detroit this season, <laughs> fixing up houses and helping end the blight that has brought Detroit to its knees. As an electrician, I won't have much to do until episode nine. That's why I'll be. Go- <laughs> That's why I'll be going to museum. I have no business being in. <laughs> it's nothing more Detroit than a Boston guy going to the Motown Museum. <laughs> Man, I don't have we talked about that on on this show, Adam? I think you and I have talked about it privately. I think we've talked about, about- it privately. <laughs> but if man, if you are listening to the sound of our voices and you have not seen the episode <laughs> of This Old House where they go to the Motown Museum in Detroit, pause the podcast, like stop everything you were doing and go watch that. It's the most hilarious thing I have ever seen on television. Period. End of story. It it burned out the thing in me that cringes. <laughs> like I I cringed so hard I got a hernia. <laughs> Didn't you tell me you like woke your wife up from a dead sleep to show her this? Yeah, yeah. Like I I mean uh, when my wife's asleep, that's when this old house time happens for me. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll get into something comfortable. Oh, you and, naughty uh, boy. <laughs> I'll pour myself a glass of wine, get into a, a robe and watch this old house. Yeah, it was, this moment was so shocking to me, I had to wake her up. Uh, she did not see the humor in it than I did, that I did. The lesson, of course, being do not wake my wife for any reason. Yeah. 
because because if 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 she can't see the humor in this, then that's that's just something that is happening to her brain when it is trying to be asleep. You know, you know this idea of like Tom Hanks's "The Money Pit" being said in Star Trek. Yeah. Is super fun to me. Yeah, this this is such a fresh perspective. I love it. The we are used to being on these clean and tidy starships. So when uh, you know when the commander finds Kira Norris shuffling twisted scraps of metal out of a hole in the wall, and she accuses him of being a a goody goody, uh, it's it's fun to see him like you know actually get his hands dirty. To quote the scene. Ben, it occurred to me during this scene that I may in fact have a type. Oh, really? <laughs> and that type is Bajoran female. <laughs> ben. Sir, have you ever served with any Bajoran women? No, why? I was just wondering, sir. I immediately transferred my Rolaren attraction to Kira Norris. Yeah. I, I am all in on Kira Norris. Jesus. Nana Visitor, I feel like, was given the direction that she is, in fact, the star of this show. She is there to fucking dominate. Yeah. As an actor, I feel like she... <laughs> I think she's trying to bury Avery Brooks in every scene that she's in. It al- <laughs> it's almost like she's acting at him. Right. In a way that is not playing as, like, cheesy or false or whatever. Like, you know, there's the type where the actor is, like look at me acting she's not doing that but she's like really swinging hard and i love yeah, it yeah she's she's throwing punches at every character they they put her in a scene with you know you write characters that think they are the star of their own story and and uh she is for sure like inhabiting this character in a way that is really fun cisco sort of uses mental aikido on her <laughs> and i think a lot of people in this episode because he sort of smiles into her fury in a way that initially I felt was kind of patronizing. I'm Benjamin Sisko. I suppose you want the office. Well, I thought I'd say hello first and then take the office. But we could do it in any order you'd like. Well, he was thinking about using Anbo Jitsu on her, but he left his (laughs) Q-tip on the uh, ship that brought him to the station, so... I, uh... The 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 professional arrangement between them is that Cisco gets to run the station, he's the top cop, and Kira is the attaché sent from Bajor, who like represents the planet and all matters uh, security and political. Right, because Bajor is not in the Federation; they're just kind of like catching their breath after the Cardassian occupation pulled out, and so. They've like they've basically asked the Federation to provide a a like stabilizing force to the station so that they can get their affairs in order. This creates a natural professional and personal tension between them because they do not often arrive at the same conclusions about how to do things to up to the point where. Kira undermines him fairly often in this episode yeah. and in front of other people. Yeah, he's got uh he's got a little bit of a an insubordinate first officer and like he kind of leans into that. He's like, "Hey, like I don't think I can do this if I'm not seen as cooperating with the locals, so you're it." 
and we got to figure out a way to work together. But it's pretty clear that that's going to be a process at this point. I also got a little sprinkle of if Cisco thinks he's short timing it there anyway, he he's like, what the fuck? You yeah. Know? <laughs> it's, not, it's not worth fighting with Kira. Like, I'm not going to be here next week anyway. Yeah. Uh, he explains that he doesn't have any intention of being here next week to Captain Picard, who like, you know, they've introduced a bunch of the characters and there's been some excitement on the promenade and Cisco gets like told again and again over the you know, first 20 minutes of him walking around the station that Picard is docked at the station and wants to talk to him. So he finally goes on to the entrepreneur and the beginning of their conversation is like very embarrassing for Picard because like Cisco is like, yeah, we've met. And Picard is like, oh shit, I don't uh, remember. I apologize. And he's like, well, you were locutusing around and... uh did make a great impression. This is such a fatal flaw for Picard here. Like, he's poured the tea of tough conversations for him. <laughs> like, like he sort of tries to Necheyev Cisco here. Yeah. But how does Picard not do his homework before every conversation he has after being Locutus? <laughs> like, you've got to do that, right? Before any conversation, you've got to know if you've killed a guy's wife. He doesn't know that, and he also doesn't really address it. Like, he, it's the first time we've ever seen this depicted, you know, despite it being something that's been on our minds, like, the entire time since Best of Both Worlds. Like, we've never had a character who had, like, a, a, a significant and real grievance with Picard based on that. And uh, and he just kind of like pushes past it, and he's like, "All right, well, here's the deal. Like, the Admiralty wants you to make sure that the Bajorans don't devolve into civil war and get ready to become members of the Federation. That's what everybody wants." This problem should be very widespread. After Best of Both Worlds, too. Like, this almost should be the prevailing feeling about Picard. It makes me wonder why we didn't see more of this depicted for the last two seasons of next generation right because this this is happening concurrent with like season five tng right uh season six is when oh, season deep six. space nine starts so somebody had the good idea that this would be an interesting scene to write <laughs> you know yeah and we know that there was some yeah. crosstalk between the two series i mean mostly deep space nine taking resources away from tng but uh but also the occasional episode where there was some crossover and characters interacting from the two different shows. One funny thing at the end of this scene is that uh, Cisco gets up out of his chair and sort of does parade rest in front of a sitting Picard. Picard's eyeline remains <laughs> straight ahead. Oh, really? <laughs> and, like... Picard's basically staring at his junk before Cisco leaves the room. <laughs> that uh, space station uniform reveals a little bit of knock if you're not looking at it on television. It's a total big dog move by Cisco. Yeah. And He's a bit Picard doesn't have the heart to reprimand him yeah. because I think, you know, you can kill a guy's wife and you're going to reprimand the guy. I think that's probably a bad look. <laughs> <laughs> probably going to let that yeah. slide. If you're Picard. What do you think is behind the choice to make the quote-unquote captain of this series a commander and not a captain? 
You know, I think in a lot of ways, the theme of this show is is to be the underdog, you know, to be outgunned, to be undermanned, to be underweaponed, to be uh, understaffed, yeah, and to have somewhere aspirational to go in all of those areas, including including career. And so I think that's just in keeping with with the other elements on the station. That's how I read it anyway. Yeah. I mean... Uh, I don't know if it's technically that you can only be a captain if you have a ship. I don't know if that's a thing, right? I think also that like Deep Space Nine is seen as not that big a deal until it, they find the wormhole, and then it suddenly is a big deal. But maybe there's just too much political inertia to replace Cisco at that point. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, like the... The idea is that this is a backwater at the beginning. I mean, like, the doctor is excited about it being a backwater, but everybody else is like, give me a fucking break with this post. He just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic so that no one had the chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic. Dr. Bashir's introduction to the show is very much a... What the fuck is the matter with this tryhard? <laughs> like, like that kind of vibe. Yeah, he's like trying to pin Dax down on a date in front of his new boss before he's even really made a proper introduction. Maybe we could get together later for dinner, or or or, or, or drink. I'd be delighted. Nana Visitor's background acting here is especially great. Like, <laughs> like. I need you to give me a two out of ten on what an eye roll would be. Like, that's sort of her vibe back there. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, give me a break. Yeah. Really? This fucking guy is going to patch me up if I take phaser fire? Oh, man. It's interesting how we've seen people with great charisma on Star Trek before. Uh, Bashir is not that guy. <laughs> you know, like, he he tries really hard. He looks like he's a guy who wants to be that guy. But I think uh, I think he doesn't quite pull it off. Yeah, he's like a less self-possessed Bones. Like, right? He's, he's he's got like some of the some of the like pointy edges to Bones, but doesn't have the you know like and he's and he's like brimming with self-confidence, but but he's also like kind of socially awkward and scattered in a way that. Bones never was. He's got that kind of self-confidence that comes without self-awareness. And so he says stupid shit all the time without realizing he's being condescending. Right. Like like about, oh yeah, I, I totally want to be on this jalopy because I love challenges. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and Kira's like, this jalopy is my home asswipe. Right, exactly. The other big... A political figure that Cisco has to commune with is Kai Opaka, who uh, comes to her meeting with him straight from her other job at Medieval Times and doesn't have time to change. <laughs> Kai Opaka is shot exclusively through Promist, which <laughs> yeah, which is uh, which is one of the only ways they can tell the viewer that she is a mystic of some kind. <laughs> yeah. Little on the nose, camera crew. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, the uh, I think the spirituality of Bajorans has been heavily implied in TNG, but this is the first time we've got any kind of like tangible depiction of it. And uh, they have this religion that is centered around these 
these tears of the prophets that have appeared in orbit over Bajor uh, uh, over the last 10,000 years. And Cisco is sort of given like an RPG like quest at the beginning where like there are like nine orbs and the Cardassians have eight and Kaiopaka gives him the ninth, the one, the last one that the Bajorans have. And he has this like transcendental experience where he's like, like they open the Jambi box. Now everyone at home, And he looks at the orb and he's transported to the beach where he met his wife years and years ago. I don't like sand. And uh, this is like one of the most fun scenes in the in the episode because he's like it's it's kind of an extended scene. And at, at first he's like disoriented and is confused about where he is and why he's there. What the hell? But the second he meets his wife, he is like, he just like throws himself into the reality of it. Ow! And when it's over, it's it's that reality that he wishes he was in and not the, not the one that he came from. They're making specific choices here that read differently to me than they did to you. Like... I really, I got off on the joy that Cisco has in seeing his wife again. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> but what I hoped would be here in equal amounts was, like, the profound sadness of it also. Like, later on in the episode, we come to realize just how damaged Cisco is and how much his wife's death is hanging around him. It has yoked him, basically, in place. And for none of that pain to register in the moment that he sees his wife alive again, I thought, like, I missed that. I missed it. I wish it wasn't 100% joyful here. Hmm. Because I felt bad for him during this scene. And he's so happy, you know? Yeah, I mean, I... (laughs) I see your point. I guess my read was that it it was just like, it was so convincing for him that he just kind of abandoned, like, it's like, I like this reality better, so I'm abandoning my uh, attachment right. to actual reality so that I could live here forever. Cisco's woo Ow! is <laughs> is as crazy sounding as... Picard's Beavis and Butthead laugh <laughs> in the naked now. Like, it is fucking bizarre as a sound that someone makes. Yeah. It, it, is, it is a crazy sound. Yeah. It's both that he's excited to see his wife and that his feet are being burned by the sand. This is not the only scene that they do this, but so much of this episode is looped in a, in a very close to being distracting kind of way. Yeah, the the sound is interesting. I mean, there's some parts of the sound design that I thought were great. Like, there's a scene where it is discussed who is going to have the big office in ops, and uh, it's basically an opportunity for Cisco to big dog Kira. But um, right. every time there's a scene in the office, it's like boomy and hollow sounding in the way a room that has been emptied out and doesn't have any, like, furniture or wall coverings sounds it sounds like a room that uh, is kind of in transition and yeah it was very noticeable th- i thought that was a really cool like if that's if that was an accident that is like the happiest accident in sound design history <laughs> but i kind of think it was on purpose yeah it sounds diegetic yeah so he takes this orb back to the station 
from Bejor. Bejor? And he gives it to Dax, his old friend in a in the uh, shiny new body, because <laughs> uh, Dax is a trill, and uh, they I guess decided to redesign what trills look like to look more like Famke Jensen in that episode about <laughs> being a sex slave. <laughs> It is fun to see another ankylosaur transfer happen. A little bit disappointing that that it's not a psychedelic ankylosaur, though. Yeah. Does that mean that, like, different symbiotes have, like, totally different looks? Like, one of them's, like, like all murdered out and, like, you know, black with dark gray accents. And one of them is skin color like this one. One of them's psychedelic. One of them's got, like, camo, army green. I can only hope that we see all the different varieties going forward. (laughs) We get that scene of transfer we get here is a little different from the one we got on the Enterprise with Beverly and and her... What the fuck are these people? Trill. Trill is of the trio. With Beverly and her her Trill relationship. Like, this scene of, like, side-by-side bodies looking at each other... And the moment where the ankylosaur is put into Jadzia, like, the idea of looking at your previous body like a car wreck you've just walked away from, (laughs) I thought was, like, profoundly interesting. Yeah. Like, it it seems uh, very pleasurable to to go in, Ben. Speaking of walking away from a car wreck, uh, there's also a very funny scene with uh, Chief O'Brien. Like, I mean, he's like walking around the entrepreneur, and he like goes onto the bridge, and he's a, he's like got the the back of his knuckle about to knock on the captain's ready room door, and kind of loses his nerve and just heads down to the transporter room, and he's about to beam out when uh, when the captain catches him, and uh, man, I. I could not watch the scene without thinking about the way that John Adams' Chief O'Brien at Work comic has has colored my <laughs> my understanding of that character. Yeah. This is your favorite transporter room, isn't it? Number three. Yes, sir. <laughs> Just like every part of the interaction is ten times funnier because of the idea of O'Brien being just a lonely person with a job that doesn't need to exist. <laughs> it won't be quite the same. It's just a transporter room, sir. Have you ever worked in an office environment where you moved to someone else's desk and there was still, like, some of their shit there? You know, yesterday, I called down here and I asked for you without thinking. I have not, but uh, I, can, I can imagine... I'm just thinking about uh, what are the things that O'Brien left behind at his workplace... <laughs> Like the pack of Tic Tacs, <laughs> the fidget spinner. Yeah, the Kathy cartoon taped to the wall. The standing mat. <laughs> Picard treats O'Brien, you know, not as the friend that he isn't, but with the profound professional courtesy and humanity that I feel like you don't get very often in in button up corporate america anymore you know like like 
the uh, any semblance of closeness is neutered out of a professional office environment. And so to see this felt really good to me. Like, you can do this when you're a leader. Mm-hmm. Like, you can be a good person. <laughs> and that's... <laughs> And that's and that's what Picard here is. He's professionally good. He's not giving him a sheet cake and a and a balloon party. They weren't that close. Right. But this is a, an appropriately good send off. Yeah. You've them. been here since episode one, and uh, we're gonna miss you. I, I for one have no idea how you got on this career path. <laughs> there was no place for you to go anymore on the ship. By the way, uh, is your wife still here? Did you leave her behind or uh <laughs> can uh can she go with you or <laughs> Picard's like boy I saw this coming <laughs> It is really weird that uh there's no Keiko anything in this episode. Especially for how hard they tried to cram Keiko down our throats. Yeah, like one of the only characters to get bottle episodes that wasn't even in the crew. Like, I yeah. feel like Keiko got more bottles than O'Brien did. Yeah. Yeah, what's that about? 99 bottles of Keiko on the wall. Really got great hair on Kalamini this episode. Mm-hmm. Like, the uh, the curls are especially froey. Yeah. And in, uh, and almost a, a Riker amount of, of frazzledness <laughs> associated to them. Like, his hair gets especially big when... When he's messed up about something. When he walks onto the bridge and like loses his nerve, but then just like walks out onto the, into the bridge itself to like, you know, take a, take a deep breath and take it all in for one last time. There is a lieutenant sitting in one of the like, basically in Riker's seat, I guess, who in a gold shirt and she like gets up and walks over and talks to him and she has the same hair. <laughs> it's, it's a really weird choice. <laughs> it's O'Brien's like I've been replaced. <laughs> Hard not to take that personally. If she'd had an Irish accent, I would have fell backwards out of my chair. Jadzia Dax is studying one of these orbs and is this the scene where they where both she and Cisco do the thing or did I skip ahead oh you mean where she has her experience yeah uh, no I think that's around here um, we're not clinging to the plot quite as much as we normally do because I'm on such a terrible internet connection that I cannot scrub through it <laughs> I think I think in a in a large degree, well, God, this is going to be too on the nose, but like telling the story of the pilot episode of this show, like does not necessarily have to be so linear. You get your introductions to every character. Right. You get your introduction to the master problem of the show. Yeah. The show being this wormhole. Right. And, uh, and so like Cisco and Dax, based on something she finds in studying this orb... Uh, head out to the Denorius belt, I think it is called. And uh, and they're like looking for the origin of this of this object. It's like some alien object. And 
there's a lot of interest in like what's going on in the Denorius belt on the station. The other character that's very interested in this is uh, Constable Odo, the shape-shifting security guy uh, who says that he was found in the Denorius belt and uh, is is very curious about what's going on there. So this this was an incredibly hard scene for me to take because he practically like he inserts himself into the scene and then turns to camera for his monologue about <laughs> being the only one of his kind in the universe like he, he totally linuses from the peanuts gang this moment i'm surprised at you you usually don't do dumb things like that all that's missing is a blanket and a biblical reference yeah um yeah, he uh, he he puts a pen on the on the desk and then brushes it off the desk and goes down to get it and then and the camera follows him and he says, "Does it seem weird that I'm from the Denorius Belt and they're going to the Denorius Belt and that's where all of the mysteries of the show are pointing at?" Pretty cool, huh? I gotta go. This Odo is a guy who looks like he's been uh, he's been covered in in filler ahead of being taken to a paint booth. <laughs> Like he's got, he's got, he's generally humanoid looking and it has been shown to us that he is a type of shapeshifter. Ben, this show premiered in 1993, two years after Terminator 2. It's shocking to me that that effect from 1991 at the time, the most significant special effect in movie history really yeah, had already made it to television. Right. Well, that's kind of the the magic of computer effects, and and like it looks great. It's I think it, it yeah. pretty much holds up this effect of Odo sh- shifting shape. We get a fun scene of him uh, dissolving his head as a as a mace gets thrown through it. <laughs> yeah. In, in a bar fight earlier, that was the big reveal that uh, that Odo is just liquid. Mm-hmm. Also, a big reveal that. People are using maces in the 24th century. That's fun. Mm-hmm. You can get that through a transporter, right? Yeah, I guess I, I guess it'd be impossible for a transporter to de-weaponize a mace. <laughs> guess so. Well, anyways, as they are heading out to the Denorius belt, they like slip and fall through a hole. And like from the station, they're monitoring this. And What the hell is happening out there? I don't know. They're just gone. The rest of the episode is this kind of like knife edge tension of we think we just discovered a a wormhole, uh, but the Cardassians want to control it and the Bajorans want it. And like, like Kira basically takes charge and it's like, if we fucking control this wormhole, then Bajor has an economy. You know, Bajor got totally plundered while the Cardassians are here. And if Bajor provides access to some distant part of space, then it's a hot and hopping uh, transit hub now. That wormhole might just reshape the future of this entire quadrant. The Bajorans have to stake a claim to it. And that would be great for us. So they're like modifying the, the station to make it move, which it is not really designed to do. This isn't a starship, Major. And meanwhile, uh, in the wormhole, uh, Jadzia and Cisco are having this totally crazy experience where they like are in the runabout and it and it lands on something that has atmosphere and they get out and she's on planet Edo and he's in anybody canyon and 
they are like talking to each other but having totally different experiences of what's going on. It's a real trip. Yeah. They get the sense that these orbs have been vomed out of the wormhole like like wormhole ambergris. <laughs> yeah, and you find one of those car- wormhole orbs on the beach and you can sell it to a perfumer for big money. <laughs> And uh, it, and so the it's kind of a race against time with the with the Cardassians because the Cardassians want to control whatever the valuable thing is that these things point to also, and yeah, this idea of wormhole value was teased fairly early on in the Next Generation during that infamous episode where the where the Ferengi the two Ferengi and the and the shuttlecraft got trapped on the other side of one right. On accident. Yeah, speaking of Ferengis, we haven't even talked about Quark and his bar. Yeah, Quark is one of the early character introductions we get on this show. And so the idea of this station is that it is a military installation in a shopping mall. Yeah. And the mall in the middle, known as the Promenade, is a place where gambling happens. There's a bunch of of shops in it. And Quark is the owner-operator of the gambling hall and saloon. Yeah. And he wants to get the hell out of Dodge, but Cork's nephew gets pinched during a failed robbery, and instead of kicking them off the station, Cisco, in Cisco holds the nephew hostage, basically, <laughs> and tells Cork, you know, you should be a community leader. You should reopen your bar and stick around, yeah. which is super fucked up. Like, how does Cisco have the power to do this? Well, I think he's got... He's got some latitude in this, like, in this period of confusion, and he's basically going to take advantage of it to try and, like, stabilize the social and economic part of the station. You ask anyone who lives within five miles of a casino, like, that's that's what you want right there for neighborhood stability. <laughs> now, I uh, hesitate to bring this up, but a number of cities have rejuvenated their economies with... Uh... Legalized gambling. Yeah, so he's able to persuade Quark that uh, it's a long bet, but if he can, if if he sticks around and uh, and keeps his bar open, like this might be this might be a great thing for him. There is an added bonus: some of the revenue can go to help our underfunded public schools. Well, I like the part about the gambling. I guess it's more that Cisco has the power to dismiss the charges against uh, Nog than that than that he's, like, holding him hostage, because Nog did commit a crime, so <laughs> he could be in actual big trouble, and, and it's more that Cisco's like, hey, if, if, you, if you help me out, I'll help your nephew out. Yeah, it's a little quid pro quo. Nice nephew. Be a shame if anything happened to him. I am the cutest of all. You will assist us. Inside the wormhole, one of these orbs like captures Jadzia and uh, and poops her back out to Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine is desperately trying to defend itself from Cardassian warships, but uh, inside the wormhole, Cisco is like awash in white light. Kind of reminds me of that uh, Annie Leibovitz picture of Whoopi Goldberg in a tub full of milk. Yeah, that's a great call. I definitely got... Uh End of 2001, Jupiter and Beyond the Infinity vibes. Sure. Um, And he starts talking to the aliens that live in the wormhole. And uh, 
they're a weird kind of alien. They're using like characters and and scenes from his life to uh, make place and people. And uh, so he's they're like, also super annoying, Ben. They're like lalling him the whole time. Like your son, what is that? <laughs> Fishing pole, what is that? Time, what is that? They're also kind of nagilaming him. Yeah, like yeah, like yeah. you know, he, oh, you're a corporeal being, and you use language to communicate. Let's see you fuck. <laughs> Not likely. And yeah, like for aliens that have like the same plan as the Federation, which is seek out new life and new civilizations, they're remarkably ignorant of the possibility of the kind of life that Cisco represents being a possibility. Yeah, it's sort of like that thought that any any race technological enough to to find our world would also ignore it as being too tiny to care about. Mm-hmm. It's like they're too big to give a shit, but they're also all questions. Like they're they're like a 200 foot tall 2-year-old. Yeah, they are uh, really annoying. But he, you know, he basically leans on his first contact training, uh, I guess, and and talks them through like what he is and what the significance of that is. But she is part of your existence. She was a most important part of my existence. But I lost her some time ago. Lost? What is this? They're able to see inside his mind in a way that is both, like, a way to understand, but it is also profoundly manipulative, right? Like, they're, they're t- as you said, they're taking the form of the people in Cisco's memories. But in so doing, they're also understanding his relationships to those people, both because of how he treats them but also because of how he feels like they sort of they sort of go around the horn to a, a couple of different scenes they go to fishing hole with Jake they go to the beach and a couple of other scenes with Cisco's wife and they also go to Wolf 359 and they keep returning to Wolf 359 and they keep saying this is where you live like th- like this is like why do you keep going back here and Cisco is tormented by this. Cisco says he doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to relive that moment. I don't want to be here. Then why do you exist here? And by saying that over and over again, you exist here. It becomes this form of hypnosis that finally gets Cisco to understand how damaged he is. I mean, he he knows how damaged that moment has 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 made him, but I don't think it's clear to him at what point, you know, the degree to which that has become the underpinning of every moment of his life ever since. Right. They really put him on blast for being, you know, for letting this govern his existence. It's a little bit goodwill hunting. This is not your faulty, you know, (laughs) like it's the, it's the repetition that really brings it home. Right. These aliens are a bearded Robin Williams. Cisco does not like these apples, but he sees <laughs> he sees the logic in what they're saying. Back on the station, they come up with the plan to move the station to the wormhole. And science is involved. The sort of science that makes sense within the world of Star Trek in that if you can create a subspace field to surround the station you will change the weight of it 
to such a degree that you can lighten it up so that its meager thrusters can move it across space and and outside the front door of the wormhole. So they're furiously trying to do that because, Ben, they have six torpedoes and no shields. (laughs) This is insane to me that the flagship of the Federation was there to drop off a couple of Winnebago shuttles and did not arm them at all. Well, but with, what the like, fuck? But this is a Cardassian station, so they they probably you know they probably have like forty five millimeter photon torpedoes, and this thing shoots forty four millimeter photon torpedoes or whatever, you know, like uh, like that that makes sense. Like they are like given how fucked up just like walkways and stuff were when they took over, like it does not surprise me that they haven't had time to like totally weaponize it yet. Right, and their their assumption is also not that it necessarily needs to defend itself from a bunch of warships. Like it's more just going to like hang out in orbit and be where they like stage their diplomatic conferences or whatever. I don't know, Ben. I would submit for evidence every single episode where the Cardassians have had to either occupy or release a planet in their care, <laughs> and then has returned to fuck with it later. Fair enough, Adam. Well, the commander comes out from his religious experience, having kind of fulfilled what Kaiopaka said was going to happen. She like when she met with him, she she's citing like prophetic future predictions that the that he's going to be the emissary of the prophets, and uh, and so like this sets up the Bajorans to believe that the wormhole is the celestial temple of the prophets. They scare off the Cardassians. And Cisco even manages to rescue Gul Dukat's spaceship. And we can tell that we're not going to like Gul Dukat by, based on the way that Kira and Odo say his name. They really, like, <laughs> stick the landing on that, on that last T. Dukat. His name is like the F word. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, now we have a, uh, a new TV show, Adam. Quark tries to uh, ask the Major out on a date at the end and... Uh, Manages to get a little grabby with her, so I guess... Uh, yeah, he's, he's sort of Weinstein's <laughs> that moment. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not exactly making a sympathetic character out of Quirk at this point. Yeah, uh, Kira threatens to shatter his hand in such a way that he won't be able to pour another shot for the rest of his life or something. I wouldn't have minded that being the end of the episode. Kira positioning herself as a person with whom you do not want to fuck. <laughs> no. Did you like this episode, Ben? I did. I thought it was pretty interesting opening episode. I mean, it it definitely has some of that like, okay, we're just going to spend some time setting up some characters, mm-hmm. which is... um. Kind of a boring thing to watch, but uh, they managed to do it artfully enough for the most part that it was, it didn't like grind things to a halt. And I think it's, it's a remarkable episode in that it kind of sets up so much of what's to come in terms of like the kind of political situation on Bajor and with the Federation and the and the deal with the Cardassians and, you know, 
like there's that great scene at the end where Picard is checking out with with Cisco and he says like uh you know I haven't actually like mentioned your intention to hang up the towel to Starfleet yet and and uh Cisco ha- is like oh please don't uh <laughs> Uh, you could keep that to yourself, buddy. And like, you believe it, you know, he's, uh, his character has already changed in an interesting way. And this is only the first episode. And that, uh, sets a pretty different tone to, uh, Star Trek. And, and uh, I'm excited for it. That scene is so good to me, Ben, because they, both characters have changed in their relationship to the other. Right. In that, Picard is hyper stiff and defensive and professional and it's Cisco that is loosened up and and needs something from Picard at that point. It's it's a total reversal. Totally. In a really interesting way. Um I I like the episode too. I disliked the parts that you also disliked. I mean, it's interesting like I'm going to try not to draw too many parallels to I'm not I'm going to try not to bring Discovery into this too much but you know Discovery introduced basically three characters in its first episode. Right. And it's interesting to me how in shows of its time a show like Deep Space 9 feels compelled to introduce everyone. You know, everyone gets their little moment where you 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 meet them and then you know a little bit about them and then you move on. And that urgency is something that I'm glad did not remain a thing you know, forever <laughs> and ever in science fiction and in Star Trek specifically, because that, that feels played out for sure. Like, we don't need to know everyone. Yeah, that's a right little away. Um, I, I mean, when the Enterprise left the station, I, I found myself, like, reaching out towards it. Like, don't go. <laughs> don't, don't leave me here. Because I really, I miss that show and I miss that crew. I miss everything about them. It helped this episode go down a little bit. Uh, having some scenes on that ship, having some characters show up that are from that show in a way that helped sort of ease the transition. So Definitely. All in all, I did like the episode. It is a It is an encouraging start and a refreshing thing to be in a brand new place in this universe. One thing that is not brand new at all to us, Ben, is the idea of reading Priority One messages. you think we have any of those? Let's check and see. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message on The Greatest Generation DS9 is a commercial message. Whoa! That's a good precedent. Message goes like this. Hi, Adam and Ben. I'm a designer in New York and a big fan of your podcast. My book, Design for People, has nothing to do with Star Trek, except that it's about a bunch of people working together to make things better. And both Star Trek and Warp Core are in the glossary. All right. So if you like books design, people, or any combination of those things, check out a book called Design for People at designforpeople.com. Man, uh, Scott actually sent a PDF of this. I don't know if you got a chance to look at that, Adam, but uh, it looks like a really terrific read, and uh, if you're a designer, I think uh, you would learn a lot from it. I'm going to start with the glossary. Mm-hmm. Got to find out what a warp core is, Adam. <laughs> 
Uh, Adam, we have another message here. It is from the city of Milwaukee, and it's for <laughs> Raz and Plavim. And it goes like this. It has been our honor and privilege to host such distinguished guests. Milwaukee thanks you for your philanthropic contributions to the podcast arts. On behalf of Mayor Tom Barrett and the fine people of Milwaukee, we cordially, gratefully invite you to go fuck yourselves. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. Yeah. Good to see that uh, the mayor of Milwaukee is a a greatest gen viewer and... uh, is on board with telling Raz and or Plavim to fuck themselves. I think it was Raz on boy and, and boy wouldn't it, it would really be insulting if I got it wrong. I, I'm fairly sure it was Raz and not Plavim who posted to Facebook every occurrence of a Raz or Plavim P1 and every utterance <laughs> or reference to them on the show outside of that by either one of us. Whoa, and it is. You know, like when you go to Costco and you'll get that super long receipt? Yeah. It is a way longer record than I would have expected. Yeah. Just got a little bit longer, Adam. Well, if you're interested in sending a personal or commercial message to our greater viewership, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Personal messages are $100. Commercial messages are $200. And they are a great way to support the ongoing production of the show. Thanks, guys. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh i want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters i want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves and you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use squarespace it'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code scarves to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe.
It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! It's got to be Cisco, right? <laughs> At least that's that's who my Shimoda is in this episode. He goes on the crazy acid trip. He experiences both the greatest amount of joy p- depicted in the episode and and it's and maybe in television and the greatest history. amount of pain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if the definitional Shimoda is is the guy having the most fun. I don't I don't know how you choose differently <laughs> though I though I'm positive you did who was your drunk shimoda uh, Ben My drunk shimoda was the thief that threw that mace um <laughs> yeah specifically like there was a very incongruous choice that this actor made which was he and Nog are on a B&E at the beginning when they are introduced and uh Nog is like lookout man and is encouraging this guy to move quicker and he is just very slowly reaching for objects on a shelf and putting them in a bag like not speeding up at one at a time he does not you know reach his arm into the back of the shelf and shovel things toward the bag uh very deliberate not fast at all and uh and then he throws a mace and uh just i just I just feel like he is such a drunk Shimoda for being that bad at thief when that is his chosen career. They are super lenient on this station because that guy should be charged with attempted murder <laughs> by by throwing the mace at Odo's face. And isn't Nog an, an accessory to murder at that point? Yeah. An, an accessory to attempted murder? Like, why are they so lenient to Nog? Once something has been approved by the government, it's no longer immoral. Yeah! They really want Cork to be a business leader on this station if they're willing to forgive that. Seriously. Also, like, a, that's a pretty a pretty grisly criminal enterprise to be getting into when you're, like, what, <laughs> like 13 or something? <laughs> yeah. What kind of creepo enlists a 13-year-old to go on these B&Es with you? Yeah. I think they got to... I think they got to look a little deeper into what this guy's problem is. But I kind of got the sense Gross. that Nog was the brains of the operation. Oh, man. If if Nog's your brains, then good luck. <laughs> ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode of 
Star Trek Deep Space Nine is Season 1, Episode 2, Past Prologue. A reunion with a member of the Bajoran Underground forces Kira to choose between her people and her duty as a Federation officer. Who the fuck writes these? She's not a Federation officer. The worst people write these capsules, that's who. Yeah, everybody that's ever corrected us on calling them Borgs know that that (laughs) came from one of these episode capsules. Not from us. We didn't even make that mistake. Somebody at Amazon did. Well... (laughs) Can't wait to see it, Ben. (laughs) Well, that is just about it, Adam, for this episode of The Greatest Generation, colon, Deep Space Nine. If you are out there listening and you enjoyed this and want us to continue the project of reviewing Deep Space Nine, uh, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the show on an ongoing basis. Um, We support the uh, very substantial cost of hosting this show and uh, you know, pay ourselves for our time and all of the all of the crap we have to do to to make this show happen through largely through listener donations. And uh, we really appreciate the folks that go to maximumfund.org/slash/donate and step up to support something they love. Really helps make this happen, and uh, and uh, it's uh, much appreciated. We would not be moving on to a new TV series if people weren't already doing this in. Uh, an amazing way so uh, thanks to everybody that already has and if you haven't yet uh, maybe consider doing it today in that same vein uh, the number one way that the show gets more listeners is uh, through reviews so if you have yet to do that uh, if you have yet to review the greatest generation in either of its forms uh, please go to your podcast purveyor of choice and, and leave us a nice review I think that's uh, fairly critical in our ability in growing our listenership, and that's good for everyone. We should thank Dark Materia and Adam Ragusia for our music. Uh, if you'd like to discuss the show, you can go on Twitter and use the hashtag GreatestGen. Adam is on there as at Cut for Time. I'm there as at Benjamin R A H R. We also have Facebook groups and Reddit subs for you to go and hang out on. Uh, great communities, both. And uh, there's also a Wikia where all of the running gags from our almost 200 episodes now uh, get dissected into a million pieces. Uh, And with that, we'll be back at you next time (laughs) with another great episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Deep Space Nine. In an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that feels like going out on a very awkward first date. (laughs) The shoe is on the other foot! Oh, Ben.
You sound like a real piece of shit. I really feel like one. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.